Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail, so you get more out of every hunt. And nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. <laughs> fucking die hard, aren't you, man? Nope. Fucking 24-7-365. I got other stuff, dude. I got there's fish oh, yeah, in the brain. Oh, uh, it's probably even an obligation for you to even be on this call. <laughs> no, I'm always, it's always part of my psyche. It's, it's always rolling around in there. What have you noticed about ducks and geese lately? I have noticed uh, that there's geese around. Um, <laughs> baby geese. Failed but not, nesters. But not really as many as I thought. Yeah, and the failed nesters are starting to congregate. Here's what I think about that, because I've been going back and forth with Trevor Ludke about the quote-unquote failed nesters. I don't think they're failed nesters. I think they're nesters. It's and, just uh, late? They got a late brood? Um, Yeah, and they're still, uh, they're still cooking those eggs, but I've done some research, found out that geese can uh, abandon their nests for most of the day. Just as long as it's warm enough, they'll just cover it up with down and, okay. and go do go do their own thing. I've just been noticing um, more congregations, like not not the full on like getting ready for a, a molt push or anything, but the you know seeing like eight adult geese together. Yeah, my my dad sent me a picture of twenty three of them in Hanson Park in New Brighton oh, wow. this morning. Yeah, and uh, so here's where I could be wrong about them being nesters. Is there's just some geese that give no shits at all about agricultural food sources like none they they won't go out to an agriculture for their whole 15 years of life and they i was thinking maybe those might be molts from that dietary choice of geese you know sure because about three weeks ago or whatever it was we got those rains and before the leaves even budded on trees like the ditches and the yards just turned neon green and i guess i i guess maybe some molts that are pure grass diet geese might show up and start eating that stuff. Maybe. I haven't really seen much for any like high flying geese though. No, me neither. So um, I don't know if anything new pushed in. 
I, and, I guess I feel like it would be more of the failed nester and or um, just nesters that are going out to feed or whatever. Um, and so here's two. If you had a failed nest and you're a Canada goose, would you still be here? Well, it might not be warm enough up in Winnipeg yet. No, I mean, I think they'd shoot back down south and rejoin the moles if they decided not to nest. Yeah, like, maybe, but I feel like if they have food here, they're probably just going to hang out until it's time to make the make the big move. But why aren't the moles here? Because they they don't have food here. Sure. <laughs> so I guess my point well, is well, but uh, there's grass. I mean, they're eating. There's I've, I've so I've the feeding I've witnessed is grass feeding, mm-hmm. and also aquatic feeding. Yeah. So um, actually, my same I've conversation. Seen, I've seen some in. Ag fields. Just kind of picking around because there's no bean sprouts yet. Yeah, no, but just probably still waste grain from last fall harvest or yeah, who knows. It could be grass bugs. shoots and bugs and yeah, all sorts of different yeah. stuff in there. But I mean, I've seen, I've even seen, like I said, like groups of eight to up to a dozen in an ag field. Yeah, and loosely I loosely would... together. I wouldn't say like together, together, but you know. They're and all in that I guess one spot. I guess what I'm thinking is they're nesting, and uh, I just think that if the, if I had if I was a goose and I had a failed nest, I wouldn't stick around. And like uh, Trevor was saying, maybe they'll leave with the molts. Like once the molts come through in early June, like, yeah, but they could just fly there to the molts tomorrow. They wouldn't have to root around in shitty lawns for food. Um, I guess that was my thoughts. Huh. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you're replying like human logic to like, why wouldn't you just fly back south? I mean, maybe they just this is where they're at when a failed nest. They wait for their time to make their move. I guess I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure if I think their nesters just doing their own thing. I mean, I'm sure they can abandon the nest for a while, but like you, you would think to be some sort of some level of. Uh, where I'm looking for like importance um, to get back to the nest, and I'm like I'm seeing ball field loafing by yep. mul- by multiple geese. So yep, that's uh, what a lot of the people who are sending me snaps of failed nesters. I, it's happening on loaf locations, loafing habitat. Yeah, so I'm when like they're, I don't, when they're congregating. Yeah, I don't think those are nesters just taking some me time. Like, I do. <laughs> I, I, I don't. Like, why wouldn't you just chill out on your nest? Then you can protect your young and because your nest, get the thing your done nest at the same time. Your nest isn't in a loaf, and uh, it's midday, and you don't have to be there. And there's another theory I have going on, too, and that is human avoidance. Like, keeping humans away from the nests. Like, they know that they attract the humans, not the nest. So the, the humans will never find the nest without them. And, um, something I've noticed, maybe I said this on the podcast already, but like five years ago, I saw my first goose standing on a roof in, uh, in like my area, Fridley, New York. And, 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 uh, it was about three years ago, a pair of geese landed in the Creek behind my neighbor's house to nest. And I've seen them like just standing outside, grabbing my mail. I've seen them take like a dozen attempts to get into that tiny little spot. Not only is it tiny, but it's got power lines that run right across the only opening. So they kind of have to just puzzle piece their way in there. And uh, and then this year, I was biking to work and I saw 
in the same creek about a mile away, I saw two geese swimming down the creek, like where they'd have no business being. And then the, uh, a few days ago, I saw a different pair nesting another mile away from that in the same creek. And I think the cities are just getting so good at disturbing and discovering and destroying goose nests that they're adapting and they're, they are, uh, they're keeping the mess away from humans as best as they possibly can. And also about four or five years ago is when I started noticing stories on the news of like um, office people taking goslings down the elevator and letting them go in the grass because Mama Goose uh, oh made, a nest up, made a nest up on the roof. You've seen that too, right? <laughs> I have not quite seen that, no. Of them physically some... taking goslings and, and bringing them down to the ground. I have not seen that. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I was golfing with my dad, and there's a dude running a Labrador around the golf course. And he's like, yeah, the uh, golf course hired me to uh, run the dogs out here. He's like, I'm just one of a couple people they hired because they run the dogs like four or five times a day around the golf course, or the geese will still nest here. Hmm. So I think just as time has gone on, cities have seeked better solutions for actually dealing with their goose problems, and the geese are responding by hiding better and you know taking the attention away from where the nests actually are and Maybe. i might be wrong i have i don't have data yeah. and i know but i do have data that shows that it, this would be hard to prove no matter what because that's uh, <laughs> that, that des moines <laughs> i have that evidence moines, that that says this would be impossible to prove that's good evidence. <laughs> because like okay the molts come through <laughs> the molts come through in early june late may and uh you would think, oh, well, oh, I don't see any of those failed nesters anymore. But look at the Des Moines data. When those eggs hatched, those geese were walking miles, like, after the eggs hatched. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I hatched you on the south side of Des Moines. Guess what? We're going to cross 20 roads of traffic for the next three days to get to this lake I actually want to raise you on. Like, they right. walk for forever. Hmm. They do some crazy things. Yeah, who knows? I, I feel like there's just because I'm not, I'm seeing some fuzzballs. And I would say it was like last, I don't know, Sunday was like the first time I'd seen some. And uh, I just haven't really seen that many. So I feel like there's more to be hatched out yet. Right. And that's why I think a lot of these groups of geese that we're seeing on loaf spots are, they still just got a nest. Because I haven't seen very many fuzzballs either. I think I've seen one group or two groups. And I think as far as ducks, I think there's still some ducks that are migrating that are that aren't even to their nesting sites yet. I was I think just last week I saw a pretty decent flock of like ringers on a local pond. It's like, well, they're obviously not nesting there. So No, and I, I think uh they they usually come through late as well. I saw my first buffle head um last weekend and I just started seeing blue wing teal as well. Mm. Not surprised that the blue wings would be late. They don't no, me neither. Actually, I thought it was cold early weather very well. <laughs> I was like, "Wait, isn't it going to be forty tonight? Like, <laughs> yeah. what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, is that a little cold for you? It's going to get all the yeah. way down to sixty. Are you a little worried? God damn, they're so pretty though. They're so cool. Yeah, the, in the spring when they're actually plumed out, pretty cool. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, so I, don't, that's I, what's... I haven't seen any mallard ducklings yet. Have you? I've, yeah, just a couple groups. There's that one okay. in the parking lot at work. And uh, and then a couple down at Hanson Park. And, and as far as like waterfall abundance goes around Fridley, it was depressed by the hawks and eagles mm. quite a bit. But um, there's still a, a 
good abundance. And um, I was talking to my dad. He said that the ducklings he was watching this morning, they must have found like a little tadpole, like hatching area or some shit. He said there was like 10 little ducklings that were feeding like as aggressively as you possibly could in about like a half inch of water and and mud. So there must have just been some bug congregation. Yeah, bug or something in there, yeah. (laughs) But uh, I have something too. Uh, I saw in the latest issue of the Ducks Unlimited magazine that uh, it's kind of along the lines that we're talking now. And I brought it up on a podcast prior about the Indiana Banding Project where they're banding urban mallards and discovering that they uh, have an equal chance of getting killed in rural areas at any time of the year as any other mallard, right? So they're leaving the cities to go feed or loaf or do whatever out in the sticks? Yep. Hmm. So these, these are these are ducks that are banded in like June or July in a city limit metropolitan area around Indianapolis. Is, and, it's, and they've got five years of data on this now. So uh, here, let me read. I'll just read straight from the magazine. I got it pulled up. So this is about that study. Urban mallards from their sample area are harvested. Urban mallards not only find their way into hunters' bags, but also appear at rates comparable to broader mid-continent mallard populations. But what prompts these urban mallards to leave the security of the city limits? While it's widely assumed these birds leave urban areas only when harsh weather forces them to, banding results suggest otherwise. More than half of banded urban mallards were harvested in October and November, well before ice up. Hmm. Only half of these birds were harvested locally. So out of all the ones they banned in a city, only half of them get harvested like near that city. Band recovery analysis has revealed that urban mallards disperse in every direction from banding locations. In fact, a map of their movements looks like a sunburst. Among banded mallards that traveled long distances, 86% of them were drakes. And where did the, these roving greenheads go? 71% of them went north. Huh. That's what so we've been just, talking about. And we were talking about it like with wood ducks. Mm-hmm. So... Um, there's got to be some sort of sex separation migration that happens um, immediately following the rape season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like to call it the season of love. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't call it that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what they're into, dude. It might look harsh to us, but they might be all in. They might, you know. You ever see like that Drake and Hen Mallards just standing in someone's yard and they they've been there for like a week? They look like the cutest little married couple of ducks and geese. I always wonder like, so when she hits the nest, <laughs> does, <laughs> does old Bob get together with his old rape sure does. <laughs> He sure does. <laughs> the romance is over. <laughs> yeah, but it's um, like you got enough eggs in that nest, there, lady. I will see you next year. And it's. It, it kind of all ties together because really what I'm thinking this area and why large Canada geese and mallards choose to have their nesting locations in the state of Minnesota is because this time of year we are filled with baby food. It's just duck and goose Gerber jars mm-hmm. everywhere you look, but it's not necessarily good food sources for adult geese. That's why there's no molts here. They're following the bean sprouts. North. Right. So once the drakes, um, have raped to their heart's content, they go north towards better food sources and better molting areas. If a Canada goose has a failed nest, 
they also go north to like up to the Hudson Bay. There's no reason that a duck or a goose sticks around here for spring or summer. Right. Except for that abundance and of Gerber and baby formula everywhere. Yeah, it's a good nursery and that's that's it. Right. And if I mean they're really you have to imagine like these birds are making a sacrifice on their own nutrition to uh have a brood in an area that has good nutrition for their kids. That makes sense. I mean that's pretty much you know, nature across the board is is raising that the next generation. So Yeah, and when I was talking with um uh Lee Chose, uh I had a beer with him a couple of weeks ago. Um he was saying that we got to talking about spinners and Canada field hunting and why that's detrimental to um mallards and and really kind of hunting in general. It's cause he kind of said the same thing. He says after the rape season, the mount the, the the drakes head north. The hens stay there to raise their brood, and they don't travel very far until migration season, like cold winter weather forces them down south. He goes, "Well, when's everybody hunting mallards in fields up in Saskatchewan and Alberta? It's like September into mm-hmm. early October, mostly in mid October." He goes, "Well, they're shooting hens and kids." Right, and these these drakes are staying largely safe by just kind of being down the food sources that they choose to. Right, something I started noticing too as soon as we started hunting ducks down in Oklahoma and being like, why are we only killing and seeing drakes? Like, why the why is there no hens here? I think the drakes must have got down there way earlier. <laughs> or, I mean, it's like that. It's they just go to better food sources for like the for them. Yeah. yeah and the, or yeah and the hens are doing it with their kids like right. staying and staying at food sources but where i guess where you'll see higher harvest with ducks you actually see lower harvest with geese when they do it wonder where that preferred food source is for a drake mallard and the um, fall if it's not where the you know if it's not in the egg fields where everybody's you know the pea fields where everybody's hunting I think what you would need, since they're probably staying safe and there's not a lot of bands getting killed and reported to actually reveal this information, um, what you would need is an abundance of GPS transmitters yeah. strapped to drakes. And most studies don't put they don't put fucking GPS transmitters on drakes at all. Right, and we they, talked about every, that a few weeks ago when we had you know they they put them they're all on hens and blah blah blah. Always. And I think and, and I like, even mentioned like well how like. Well, don't they want to know where the drakes are going after nesting? Like, how else are they going to find that if they don't start Aren't they putting part backpacks of the species? on? Like, yeah, there's I mean, there's such the an puzzle. emphasis on there's such an emphasis on nesting, and for good reason. I mean, we all know what what happens to a hunting season if a if there's a terrible hatch. Right, but it also I think it well all information is good information, but somewhat similar to like what you've been alluding to. Like, okay, well we spend a ton of time on spring habitat but none on fall habitat. Well, I think looking where these drakes go and where they eat and where, you know, where they move around during summer and fall would be good information to Hell know. Yeah. Like what if you could de- design, well, what, what if you could try to design an area or build Minnesota into a, a September, October, November, Drake, Mallard, Drake Mallard habitat Hub. area. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you yeah. Would, if, they, if you could draw them out of Canada for some reason, like for sure, there's something to be desired to a Drake Mallard that they're not getting where they are right now. You right. know, like 
it's not perfect. So what if you could find out where they are, what kind of habitat they're in, what do they have an abundance of, what are they lacking? And could we provide enough of that stuff they have abundance of and some of the habitat that they're lacking? And then all of a sudden, boom, like we will have more Drake Mallards here. It doesn't matter if it's ice up or not. Build it and they will come. Right. And uh, figure out what they want. (laughs) Yeah. I think the notion that, uh, I think the notion that, oh, they only, they only push out with cold weather. Well, that's bullshit. I mean, I heard Ira McCulley on a podcast a few weeks ago saying that they've had an early migration the last two or three years Hmm. where mallards are showing up before their season. It's got to be food driven then. What else? Maybe. What else would move them? Probably something we'll never think of. Well, that's <laughs> that's the fun of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's possible, but they need to start backpacking some of these drakes. We can figure out where the hell they're going. I agree. Let's find out where the bachelor pad is. Where, where's the Where's the Playboy Mansion of the Drake Mallard world? Where Nobody are they cares just about chilling. They don't care about collecting the information on it, but they definitely care about us only shooting them. Well, right. <laughs> if if you only want us to shoot drakes, we'll build us drake terrariums. Right. Yeah. Give us a drake park to go to. Because we know we we know they separate, and so if we know they separate, how can we build like build habitats for the hens and their kids in safer areas and build the drake habitat in the danger zone around us? It also might be impossible. I, I guess the yeah, bottom line right. is we totally just don't know. Be. I mean, it, it could just be like the type of habitat and food they want. You just can't create in Minnesota. I mean, it might be, um, you know, a, a, a latitude thing. You know, maybe it's like totally. it's just the northern prairies of Canada or who knows, coastal Alaska. I mean, we don't know unless we know, right? So uh, just another reason to put some backpacks on them so we can figure out where the hell they're going, what they're eating, and what they're doing. Maybe like, it's possible we can recreate it here, <laughs> but it's also likely that we can't. True. I mean, with the information that we'll have in 20 years, we might be, we might listen to this podcast and be like, wow, were we fucking retarded? Did, well, that's... did we know anything about ducks and geese? Yeah, uh, my money's on the over on that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably pretty accurate statement. When we're just and throwing ideas They'll be around. changing. They'll be changing. Right. Well, as the, as the world change and, and farming practices change and climate changes and everything else, like, yeah, it's going to change. Nature is never static. No. It never just stays no matter what. I mean, it's just it's it, constantly in flux. Art, what I liked about this Ducks, Ducks Unlimited article, though, was they were kind of emphasizing how um, we need to start looking at urban habitat as waterfowl habitat. Um, it can't just be like, oh, we assume these ducks and geese are staying safe in the cities because, boom, we know that's not true. Right. And what it, what is the habitat that these urban areas are providing? And could we provide more of it for them? You know, could could we raise more ducks because we put more dollars, uh, ducks unlimited dollars into urban environments for ducks instead of out in prairie Saskatchewan? Yeah, I mean, it, it's. They're probably getting killed because they're headed out to better food sources in the fall. I mean, how good is the food source in a city pond? You know, it's probably not that. It's probably not that great. You know, I think they, you know, they travel around quite a bit as soon as they can fly. Yeah. Oh, for sure. 
I think the hens and their broods stay closer. Well, I know it from band data, I guess, but, um, but the, the hens probably sick and tired of, of eating chicken strips and, uh, you know, McDonald's happy meals all summer long. The, the moment her kids are able to move around, she's like, all right, we're going to a good restaurant this weekend. I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> we're going to, we're, we're going out. And then they, yeah. and then they get shot. Yeah, or seeking some habitat. I mean, a city in the summer is, I, don't, I can't see it being very, very nice to a duck or goose. And I think you see the abundance reflect that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how we would make that habitat. Were we going to start plowing up empty lots and planting corn in there for the, and, and wheat? I mean, I don't, there's no way you're going to mimic rural agriculture in the middle of the city. I mean, I mean, I guess you could have I feed, like I feed some, ducks in my yard. <laughs> yeah, well, true. You're dumping bags of corn. I guess we could do that, or maybe they can take some of these parks and and why couldn't you know, plow them plant, up and plant duck and plant rice patties in there or something? <laughs> that would work, you know. Except it wouldn't it wouldn't get any birds out of the city. That's true. Well, I mean, and I, so, something I've always noticed too in the city is, um, yeah, we we get a big influx of birds on the migration day, and there's geese all over the place and they don't stick around very long. Like the ones that aren't pure grass eaters, they get, uh, they get the cravings for that agriculture and it doesn't take more than four or five days. And you're like, where do the, where do the birds go? Right. Oh, we're just down to the original 75 of them that feed at the high school. <laughs> yep. The ones that were there before that migration event happened. Right, so yeah. where did the, where did the migrants go? Yeah. Somewhere where they can get killed. Likely more than likely. Or gold. That's all I got. Episode over. <laughs> and that's it. And <laughs> the end. That's all the, I got. No, I think yeah, that was, I a, that. was a short, short one, but I think it was a good one. I think they were... That was actually, that was kind of fun to talk about. Yeah. I saw that of... while I was pooping like five days ago. I've been waiting for this call <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of questions left unresolved, but it gets the, it gets the brain moving. You know what's interesting in, in, in doing these Waterfall Wednesdays and just – I'm like hyper aware of this stuff now. Like I'm really paying attention to the fact that I've, I'm seeing, you know, eight and 12 geese that are grouped together, which in years past, I would have just been like, Oh look, geese. I would have really made mental note that if they had babies or not, or when I start to see them, you know, and it really was when the, the molt migrators kind of became a known thing was really when I started paying more attention, you know, start late May, early June, where you start seeing those big congregations of, of geese. And then, you know, it's like you see them for a few days in fields nearby, and I suppose they just wait for the right weather pattern, and then next thing you know, for like one or two days, it's just high-flying flocks north. You know, like, right. Wow. Crazy. You know what else is a kind of an interesting observation I made about these um, failed nesters on the loaf areas? They don't fight on the loaf. Like when they're on the loafing, like yeah, uh, they grassy, don't. No. they don't, they don't fight. Like they're super oh, friendly to each other when they're just chilling. Yeah. And, but I, when I, when I, I've been to Hanson park a few times now in new Brighton, they're fighting on the water. Like the, and the water's like a hundred yards away from the grassy knoll. They like to take naps on. So like, they're just, they're, they must have their nests already in the water. They probably, they must know where all every other goose's nest is. They still fight well, they, until they get to the grass. And then they're like, we cool. This year I you know? picked up like I know when a fight's gonna break out. Um 
and it, it happens at super long distances. Like so, when I'm out fishing, all of a sudden you'll just hear this goose, kind of close to by where you're, you know, fishing or whatever. It's he's not reacting to you, but all of a sudden he's just like burr, burr, he's doing his thing, and way across the lake, you hear another one sounding and that just ramps up and ramps up and sooner or later either the one by you gets up and flies over there or the one way over there comes over over here and they just start fighting like they <laughs> like they're just starting shit from across the lake they're not oh, even any, they're not even anywhere near each other they can't even see each other but what the sound travels over water so well like it's amazing how connected geese stay even if they're not yeah it's like that i don't know vocals. if it's a tiktok or what it is where a guy's like hey what's your name <laughs> it's Ezekiel. called hey fuck you Ezekiel <laughs> that's pretty much what it is it's like it's called uh they actually have a name for it uh in a couple of studies that are out there about um, goose vocalizations they call it the triumph ceremony hmm and uh Scott named a goose call that triumph the triumph ceremony huh fucking co- cool name for a goose call ain't it yeah it is yeah, I agree. Um, but no, that's what they, and, and that's why you can kind of pick up on it. Like, oh shit, there's about to be a fight because there's a certain cadence and a certain rhythm that they have. You can tell, like, oh shit. And then when when one wins, they do the triumph ceremony. I mean, it's not oh, as cool God. as the <laughs> Nick A. Johnson uh, signature series. When's that come no. out? I don't know. You know, I, I keep. Uh, it was supposed to be Squad Fest, but I think I. I uh, I sent too many texts of my ideas because Alex, <laughs> Alex messaged me back like, hey, man, I think we might have to push this back to game fair. And <laughs> like, Not everything I say is serious, man. But we should definitely change those 80 things. <laughs> but let's get on that real quick, though. No, dude, the thing, uh, uh, it's been a learning curve, and uh, it's nice that it's starting to curve in a positive direction. Cool. It's really been... Um, I made a post about it last night. Yeah, I saw it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I literally wanted to cry when I blew that G overhauler. I was like, I don't know what what kind of a cocky asshole thinks that they can design a better goose call than this. <laughs> oh, what am I doing? No, I should go back to school is what I should do. <laughs> and uh, But we've just got some different designs and different parts, and nobody can tell me, like, hey, you know, it would make that sound better if you did if you did this with that part or this with that design so i'm kind of just figuring it out and i finally have gotten i've gotten some uh some insights into take it this direction and as soon as i start taking it in that direction it's like whoa 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 now i'm kind of in the how fucking good can this get phase and it's getting exciting cool i'm excited for you looking forward to it yes yeah hopefully it's uh not a disastrous failure piece of shit huh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it'll work out. <laughs> well, it's not my really investment, you know. It's up right. for Alex and Alex and Trevor. I would feel bad for them for trusting me. <laughs> <laughs> they should know better. <laughs> By now, they should have picked I've up blown on some that. Ducks and goose, I don't know. I've blown a lot of duck and goose calls, and I've been tuning them for free for people for years. So that was not just out of the goodness of my heart. I did that to really un- start to understand what makes a call sound the way it sounds and sure. you know how to i i don't know i'm i i am plagued by the question of why i'm like a five-year-old you know like why is there 23 geese in hanson park why does the goose call sound this way right. and i just i just want to know well that's why you're the bird nerd i guess so well, i guess so well, should we 
Are, are we still almost sponsored by Boss? Do you want to give him a oh, shout? Oh, yeah, we should. <laughs> you know, if you guys aren't shooting Boss ammunition at this point, <laughs> after they've been a generous sponsor of this show, your favorite waterfall-related podcast. Almost. For four episodes now, but we forgot to mention in, in two of them. Oh, crap. I know, but it's something you really need to look into, right? Yeah, for sure. I do want to get some. I want to actually pattern them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I've just been – maybe I need to abandon my my old set-it-and-forget-it ways of not, of not swapping out my choke like ever. Um, well, the only thing that would happen is you'd kill more birds if you did that. Right. But and who, cripple less. And who wants that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and who wants that? I mean, it, that would, I mean, it takes a lot of work to pattern a gun. Much less work than chasing cripples, but work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that takes planning, too. I mean, it's easier to not do anything and then just have to chase that cripple. I mean, really. Oh, man, I... <laughs> I've been kind of back on my fucking. I've been back on my uh, shotgun sniper rifle uh, kick lately again. I just want to get something that looks like it's actually from the movie Shooter. You know, like looks like it's a Barrett fifty cal, but it's actually like a twenty eight oh, gauge with okay. TSS like, and a twenty. Where are you going with that? <laughs> I want like an actual bolt action, gillied out bipod. Super magnified scope on a on a shotgun. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Why? I ask myself why. You're gonna see. Be, you're I, gonna, I have no answer you're to that see one. Well beyond. You put a big giant vortex <laughs> scope, and they're gonna see well beyond where your effective range is for your shotgun. That's what is the funny. effective range of my sniper rifle shotgun? Well, if you could see a, a target clearly at 200 yards, and say you're you're past it. <laughs> wait till they come out with that tss four shot <laughs> yeah, right. Right. it's actually a loosely glued together slug it rifles for a little bit until the centrifugal force breaks it up into a pattern so your pattern Have you ever doesn't seen a actually slug? open up uh yeah where they just score the yeah right yeah, past the brass would, yeah i was kind of wondering it works how tight you could get that <laughs> you know yeah, it works because i mean <laughs> I mean, like, if you patterned, if you put it up on some paper, you know, at 150 yards, like, how tight of a group could you make? Right. And then, I mean, it's not illegal to use a scored shotgun. (laughs) I I guess not. I I mean, I guess you can do that. You totally could do that. (laughs) Seems like a terrible idea, but, I mean. I mean, it is. But (laughs) if I'm getting tight groups at 150, I'm popping that white box on the edge of the field. (laughs) And I don't care if I'm in the white box. I'm still wearing a ghillie suit, Mark, <laughs> Marky Mark style. You still gotta. I mean, oh my God, you better be on them because I mean, if your your pattern is gonna be, well, maybe, maybe not at 150. What maybe pattern? that. Maybe I it finally gotta, opens up. No, but it, I just. I, I don't want it to open up. I want it just to go just out to be a slug all the way out there. And just watch heads fly off. Boy, you're gonna have to really work on your wing shooting skills. You're gonna have to get that. Oh, that's just for drop and everything down. I don't. I rarely shoot a goose in the air. <laughs> well, I mean, it is easier to band check them when they're walking around. Well, I mean, it's just ethical, you know. Like, well, why are waterfowlers the one group of hunters that think it's the ethical thing to scare the animal prior to taking a 
Pheasants, kill shot. pheasants and upland pheasants and grouse too. Same thing. Well, they kind of that's in grass though, you know. Like but it's that's not, not walking around on a bare field. I've talked about this ad nauseum, but it's not ethical to shoot a turkey on the wing or out of a tree. Those you can only shoot on the ground. I mean, not legally. You can do whatever you want, but right. It's the ethical the ethical thing is to shoot a turkey in the face on the ground, super tight pattern choke. Why mm-hmm. is that? Like you said, why are they not doing that for geese? They're get up, roughly the same <laughs> size. Yeah, some but, guy's got that fucking two hundred inch deer just right in the bead of his compound bow. He's been stalking this yeah. deer on trail cams for eight months, and he goes, "Hey, deer!" <laughs> right <laughs> well, prior to shooting, it's like grouse. You know, it's like sometimes you got to kick them to get them to fly, just so you can, you know, ethically harvest them but it's like well then they're flying now it's a harder shot i'm probably gonna lose them i have a better chance of losing them into thick brush whereas if i had just ground pounded it i know right where that thing's laying i can go pick it up and it's dead dead as shit but that's frowned upon in the grouse hunting community that's such a weird double standard isn't it yep um you want to do another one yeah we sure can are you gonna publish this one today we're a little yep probably i'll throw it up the ball yep i'll throw it up that's cool oh been meaning to say what's up to my buddy adam on the podcast what up adam what's up adam he asked me to like 10 times i don't know why weird dude (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) bye all right later you want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Spend your Saturdays with Life on the Water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment.